as we prepare for the departure of Boris and a, a new prime minister, Hugh and myself thought it's sensible to have a live chat about it all. So, hello, you. Are you all excited about it? Glued to the TV, hanging on to every utterance by every candidate? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because the utterances from every candidate are boringly similar. Yes. Uh, it seems to be, how pure can I be in relation to Brexit? Um, yeah. and, and, and how can I garner more votes by being ever more, um, you know, Brexit clean, as it were? Um, it, is, it is very odd. Um, and I think that, you know, the race is obviously on for the, for the second candidate. It looks as if Mr Sunak is going, to, um, is going to become one of the candidates to go to the final uh, two, but who is going to be the, 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 the next one? And it's a very interesting lineup, really. Um, mm. I think everyone's been quite surprised by the rise of Penny Mordant um, and um, rather surprised by the immediate exit of Nadim Zahawi and, um, and um, Jeremy Hunt. Oh, Jeremy Hunt, yeah. 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 I, I must tell everybody we're recording this on the, uh, on the Thursday uh, whilst we're awaiting the outcome of the second vote which is due uh, probably an hour or so after we've uh, finished the recording. So let me ask you then, um, Hugh, will Brexit be a lasting Boris sound legacy or a Boris cause disaster for the UK? What's your thoughts? I think it's certainly going to be a legacy. And I think it will depend on who succeeds Boris as to whether it's a success or an abject failure. I think one of the problems is that um, the country, the civil service and ministers have all got bound up by uh, actually thinking, well, we can't speak ill of Brexit because we've invested so much political capital in it. And therefore, um, undoing Brexit just can't be contemplated. But at the same time, how you actually move it forward, I think, is a real problem. Um, you only have to look at the Northern Ireland Protocol before you see you you start tinkering with it, and you end up with all sorts of unforeseen consequences, um, political and economic. Uh, and I think this is going to be the defining theme of the next government, however long or short that might be, and it's going to rumble on for years. So, yeah, yeah. In, in 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 to say, you know, is Boris's defining legacy Brexit? Yes, it is. But how successful that legacy will be is very much open to question. Mm. Uh, you see, what puzzles me uh, at the moment is that businesses are nowhere near being ready. I, I got a letter in this morning, or a very thick letter from Zurich, where my pension, personal pension is there, and saying, well, we're having to change it and split our company because of European, and it's got to go through the high court, and, and oh, it's going to drag on for ages. And then at the same time, I've, today, I've just had a, an email in from our accountant saying that um, as from September, HMRC are changing all the uh, process on export and import, and you need to re register on this to do that, to do the other, and get all the new process. So, you know, it's not like anybody's ready to get doing things, is it? No, it's not. And, and I'm old enough to remember when we actually joined the single market. <laughs> right. um, and and the, the preparation for that was detailed. It was prepared. Uh, businesses knew what they were up for. You know, the single administrative documents, you remember that? Mm. Um, which, which meant that everything was streamlined and, and simple. And now, um, having had 
nearly 50 years in the single market, it all has to be undone. And political people think that it can be just done by the wave of a pen or or Harry Potter's yeah. wand. And it can't yes. be because our whole life economically has been bound up with simplicity of trade in Europe. That's been undone. Mm. But I don't yeah. think the architects of that have appreciated how really complicated it is. And, you know, Brexit isn't done. Um, you know, for Boris to claim Brexit's done, it's not. There are so many things that have to be worked through in detail. Uh, you know, how on earth are we going to get uh, competitiveness in UK agriculture without access to mm. labour? You know, these yeah. things have been, haven't been thought through sufficiently and they will rumble on for years. In mm. the meantime, we're not as competitive as we once were. Uh, and that's going to have a long lasting effect um, on our position in the world our position in the G20, and our position in Europe. You can't ignore your biggest trading block. Um, no, and no, for no. politicians to think that you can is naive. I think let's just stay on, on that labour challenge there, because, uh, as you know, one of my core industries, well, 50 years in it this year, is hospitality. And um, there is something approaching people are estimating nearly quarter of a million chef vacancies in the UK. And that's before you start to try to find waiters and other, other people to work in, in hospitality. And people are, businesses are just crumbling uh, because they can't deliver the, the service that is, is necessary for, for example, to meet food standards and, and so on. So where are we going to go to with with core sectors like hospitality, which produces billions a year for the UK? Well, I think that is a is a particular problem because Europeans had hospitality in their core DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can count legions of pubs and restaurants that are only opening three days a week because they can't staff it for the rest of the time. That means that they, they, they can't rely upon a loyal clientele to come and, you know, pop in for a, a dinner or a bar snack or whatever because they can't open. Yeah. And, and the other thing is if you look at where we are getting our labour from now, it's places from as far afield as Vietnam, um, some African countries. Um, they don't have hospitality in their DNA. Uh, that's not to say they're not good workers, Mm -hmm. um, but they have to be trained up from scratch. The advantage that we had of free movement of people is that we could tap into a vast labour pool who were skilled, willing and worked hard. Yes. Um, we've got to really train up everybody um, all over again. And that takes time and money. Yeah. Now, that, that's the important bit, the time and the money. Let's go back to the vying candidates that we have at the moment for PM, because to me, they all seem to have some ideological stance, um, such as trust, as though trust has just been invented and will be the new magical potion. Surely trust and integrity should be the bedrock uh, of, of politics. And what the country wants to hear about from these people is economic solutions, solving inflation. Um, and but businesses want to see when will we start to get some benefits from Brexit? Well, I think that's right. And I think it's really interesting um, that everyone's talking about trust as if it was some shiny new, um, <laughs> shiny new pendant in the jewel box. Of course, it's not. And, and the fact they are talking about it, if they have cottoned on to the fact that it's really important. 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're talking about it in such a way indicates how far we have gone as a nation in actually eschewing trust, that we've mm-hmm. actually put it away and say, oh, it's, it's too complicated to deal with. Of course, it's not. Um, and the fact that all the candidates are dealing with integrity and trust um, and their, their uh, abilities in that area, I think, says a lot about the previous prime minister's credibility because they recognize- but, but they voted for him. They supported him. You know, they were condoning it, surely. Well, maybe they weren't condoning it, but they were certainly going along with it because to oppose yeah. it would be too difficult. But I think, I mean, you raised a really interesting question here, and that is, how far i mean business really is concerned i mean you have business organizations saying to the conservative party we need a long-term strategy Mm. um, to enable this country to compete in the world well you know boris's attitude towards business was f business and that's (laughs) that and therefore i think the, the relationship that the government has with business has been really badly damaged and there's a lot of work to be done to rebuild credibility uh, with the business sector. Because when you think about it, it's business that actually pays the government's taxes. Yeah. It's business that funds the health service. It's business that funds the provision of the armed forces. You know, all these things are taking place and it's business that pays for them. Mm-hmm. And if business doesn't think it's getting a good deal, then it's going to try and seek the outcome of the political um, you know the, the the elections and and the uh, the choice of leader of each party because it's vital to them that mm-hmm. we actually have a government that is sympathetic and encouraging to business, not one that treats it as a the the goose that lays the golden egg because the golden eggs run out. Yeah. Well, let's just go to another worry that's uh, um, sort of pervading over us at the moment, and uh, there's lots of there's lots of surveys coming out saying that CEOs around the world, their biggest concern at the moment is inflation. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's something you understand much better than I do. So what's your thoughts about it here and relevant to the UK growth? Well, I think we have to start by saying that inflation is global. It's not limited to the UK. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that all countries around the world Um, are suffering from inflation of one sort or another, Um, from the the rice farmer in Bangladesh who has to pay more for seeds, fertiliser and indeed labour and fuel, to a sophisticated um, pharmaceutical business in this country um, whose wage bill is going up, um, fuel is going up, um, and the availability of labour is going up. Uh, that will becoming more constrained and therefore it's something that is a global phenomenon it's not just linked to to this country so for so for, for, for any leadership candidate to say we can solve inflation at yeah. a stroke is is deluded and so it has there have to be global solutions to the inflation problem and the way to tackle inflation is first of all to remove the supply side constraints to the economy like fuel, energy, um, and labour. And I think that, uh, yes, governments can tinker at the edges with taxation. They can try and uh, help at the the margins. 
But this is one theme that is going to run beyond um, any local leadership election or even any presidential or, or any other election. That is the price of fuel and the price of energy. And that is why the war in Ukraine is absolutely crucial to this problem of global inflation. And therefore, you have to tackle that in a way that actually benefits the world economy. Once the world economy regains confidence and energy prices stay, at least stabilize, if not come down, then inflation will start to come down as well, because everyone in this country has fits of anxiety. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I was I was awake the other night wondering how I could pay a particular bill. Well, you know, I used not to have to do that. Um, and I think, you know, I, you know, my thoughts are replicated through many millions of households in the UK and mm -hmm. throughout the world. And it's, it's not funny. It really isn't funny. Inflation yeah, yeah. eats away at the bedrock of economic competence and economic confidence. If you know, mm -hmm. for example, if you're a pensioner and you know that there's 10% inflation, uh, your pension is not going up by 10%, which means that you can afford less at the end of the year than you could at the beginning. And that's not going to give you confidence to go out and buy a new car, or um, it's not going to give you confidence to, to actually go out to a restaurant. So it's, 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 it's corrosive. The whole thing about inflation is it's corrosive and reduces people's choice and reduces their ability to ride it. So it's vital that the G7 and the G20 get together and actually have a plan. Now, mm. you know, it might it might require some pretty radical solutions, but unless they do that, then I think we're going to hobble along um, for the next few years um, until some of these basic problems are cracked. It takes leadership. And where yes. have we got leadership? Mm. We, we, do, we don't have it at the moment. But do you think also that inflation may cause a lot more civil unrest than what we're seeing at the moment? My, my wife is talking to um, a pharmacist the other day. Can't get if things like paracetamol, for example, uh, within the pharmacy there, supply stuff there. Then she's talking about other people who, who are saying, well, I can't afford to eat just about, you know, um, then somebody else is saying, well, I just leave the car there, I walk now. So we're, we're seeing obviously another rail strike on July the 27th. We're seeing a lot of unrest around this moment in time. Is this something that's going to grow, do you think? Well, you and I have long memories, I think, Malcolm. I mean, I remember the winter of discontent in 1979, yes. yeah. where bodies lay unburied. Yeah. rubbish piles high in the streets. There is always a political price to pay for this. Um, in 1979, um, we had the arrival of Mrs. Thatcher. Um, I, I suspect that what is going to happen now is there will be, I think, increasing um, civil unrest. I don't think it'll be violent. It never is in this country, but it will... Mm. It will boil over in industrial disputes. It'll boil over in civil disobedience. It'll boil over in, in a lot of other ways until governments actually realise that this is something they have to deal with. Yeah. And one of the other problems, of course, is that, is that Brexit makes it a whole lot worse. Mm. Um, if you look at some of the advantages of Brexit, in a period of high inflation, it requires greater investment to overcome the difficulties of Brexit. And where's the money going to come from? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. I think that's, that, again, is, is part of the problem. 
Brexit provides an additional hurdle um, that is actually quite difficult to overcome. And, and when I hear some of these politicians saying, oh, well, you know, Brexit gives great opportunity, and, and those come out of the words of um, someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg, well, that's yeah. fine for <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg to say things like that, but he's moved the headquarters of his financial services firm to Dublin. Why? Yes. Because he gets a better return because he's got better access to the European market. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the hypocrisy of it all is really serious. And, and mm. I think it, it again boils down to trust. Can you trust these people who get up every night, interviewed on, you know, by Sophie Rayworth or Lorna Koonsberg or whoever on the BBC or Peston on, on ITV? How can they be credible in those circumstances? How can we have trust in them? And I think a lot of people in this country feel politically disenfranchised. There isn't anyone they feel they can vote for. And that, again, is corrosive. If we don't have confidence in our leaders and our politicians, then we have serious problems. If we can't pay our bills, no matter how hard we try, no one's asking for handouts. That's not what, you know, that's not what it's all about. It's purely an inability to survive. And yes. in this country, of course, you, you know, we, we, we will muddle through. But in places like Sri Lanka, um, mm. it boiled over onto, into street violence, and it will do so elsewhere in the world. Yes, I, I, I felt very sorry about that because I worked in Sri Lanka for the uh, for EU um, straight after the tsunami, and there's such lovely people, you know, working hard there. But let's talk about um, about uh, people, business leaders at this moment in time, because the forecast. Well, it's sunny outside, but the forecast may be a bit cloudy. But they've got to take some action. And some sort of resilience action, I think, is is needed. It's no use leaders sitting on their on their, their hands because their people are saying, "What are you going to do about it?" So, where's your thoughts go on what sort of resilience action a, um, a good business leader can take? I think you have to look. Um, if you're looking at a, a business leader, and I'm not talking about you know the likes of Rolls Royce or one of the oil majors. I'm just talking about, you know, a company maybe that's turning over 10 or 20, 10 or 20,000 pounds a month. Mm -hmm. What can they do? I think the first thing is to look at where your market is, where you're selling your goods and where you think you can sell more and actually devise a plan to meet your aspirations. Those, those are the most important things and work out the resources you're going to need to be able to do that. At least if you get it down on paper, you'll know whether it's possible or not. And I think that's that's really important. And, of course, you have to convince other people that what you're thinking about is doable. Yes. So it might be, you know, the family. It might be your, your board of directors. It might be your financial providers. You've got to be able to convince them what you're talking about is sensible. And in these uncertain times, you've got to be sure about what you're doing because if you're not sure about what you're doing, no one else will be. Mm, yeah. I, I think also you need to know what the market trends, where they're going to. I, I'm working with a podiatry company. I'm working with a, um, a security company. And they're all being affected by external matters that they wouldn't normally have to be 
to, to be concerned about, you know, for example, such things as social value and corporate responsibility uh, to win decent contracts. So know what I think, know what's happening within your marketplace, because it's easy to, um, to, to be unobservant, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, there are certain sort of standouts that I would um, take from the present global circumstance, and that is that anything to do with greening the economy and, and greening mm. the environment is going to attract support, yes. although, you know, there's, there's a lot of resistance to it too. But that is going to attract support, and it's also going to attract financial capital. So I think yeah. that's something which I think is, is, is good. I think alternative energy sources alongside that greener, greener image and greener, greener policy is also something that will gain traction. Um, I think also, yes, people are becoming more socially responsible. So people are perhaps more likely to invest in, a, in an app about mm -hmm. how to do things more easily rather than you know, buy a second car or, or um, um, you know, buy an extra bottle of wine. But you know, whatever yeah. it is, I think people are becoming much more socially responsible. Um, or maybe you know invest in in a food bank. You know, I mean, this is mm. this is what this is what is in demand today in Britain and in the global economy. There is going to be much more social philanthropy because yes, that is required. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that those people who are social philanthropists will have to think very hard about where they put their money, not for their own self interest but for where it really matters. And I was reading this morning, Bill Gates says he doesn't want to be in the, in the top 20 uh, rich list um, uh, within five years. Well, he did say that in 2010, and since then his wealth has doubled. But, right. yeah. uh, but I think, you know, he, he, is, he is genuinely putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah. You know, he, he's within striking distance of eliminating malaria. Now, that would be a fantastic achievement. Uh yeah. A fantastic yeah. achievement. And I think, you know, there are people in the world, and I take comfort from this, there are people in the world who do things not for themselves, mm -hmm. but for society as a whole. We need a yes. lot more of them. We'd lot more of them. And wouldn't it yeah. be great if some of our political leaders adopted the same philosophy? Yes, and I could think of one or two. Uh, but um, a final question, you final question. The UK is still respected in many parts of the world, primarily because of our humanity, culture and integrity, along with innovation. Now, if you were to be given that um, thing you mentioned before, the Harry Potter magic wand to help the UK capitalise on these important differentials, how would you use it? I've been thinking about this for a few days since you, you, you mentioned it to me, and it's, it's actually quite a difficult question to answer in a very short space of time. I, I think what one needs to do, yes, we do have as a nation historical virtues, if you like, um, the fact that our word could be relied upon. Well, that's been called into question. Um, the fact that we work, we are good trading partners. The fact that we, you know, we have a certain standing in in the world in terms of justice. Well, that could be called into question too. So there are a whole heap of things that are going to be called into question. And you know, the one thing I think would make more difference than anything else is to have um, a leadership 
that people respect, mm. have a civil service that is able to carry out the wishes of the leadership without compromise, without having to dodge the bullets. And we need an administration that is respected, not just at home, but abroad. And I think that's really, really important. And we're only going to get that if all of us buy into that as well. Mm. Excellent. Great answer, Hugh. Great answer. And let's ho hope it happens. I I've thoroughly enjoyed our live chat. I think we should do it more often um, because uh, it spurs lots of thinking between us as well, rather than, uh, should we say, the coldness of doing a, a re pre-recorded audio. So are you up for that, Hugh? Very much so. Yeah, I prefer it, actually. I think it's, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it provides an interaction and it provides thought and stimulus, which I hope is shared by our audience too. <laughs>